The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. This is A to Z Healing Toolbox, tips and tools for navigating grief and trauma. I am your host, Susan Hannafin McNabb, social worker, educator, and author of the five-time award-winning guidebook, A to Z Healing Toolbox, a practical guide for navigating grief and trauma with intention. Together on this podcast, we will discover 26 powerful action-based tools and resources that will counter the negative effects of grief and trauma while assisting us in increased healing of the mind, body, and spirit. In each podcast episode, we will hear from inspirational guest experts in the fields of traumatic loss and bereavement, medical practitioners, mental health therapists, best-selling authors, spiritual leaders, nonprofit founders, and everyday individuals who are learning to live in the light despite profound darkness. Thank you for joining me. A to Z tips and tools are yours to integrate on your personal road to healing. Healing Tool A, Animals. A cat purring on your lap is more healing than any drug in the world, as the vibrations you are receiving are of pure love and contentment. By St. Francis of Assisi. Hello and welcome to A to Z Healing Toolbox. This is where we discuss tips and tools for navigating grief and trauma. Today, we are going to be talking about one of my favorite topics for healing, animals. And we are so, so lucky to have Dr. Nancy Salzman coming on with us to chat about her story and how she's integrated animals into her healing journey. But first, I just want to mention, I know that I read that quote about cats. And to be honest with you, I'm allergic to cats. So I've never owned a cat. I did grow up with a dog, but I did not have any animals when Brent died not even a fish. We had just moved back here from overseas and we're, we're getting settled. So I had no animals in my life, nor did I think that animals were going to be helpful in my journey whatsoever until I went to therapy, as did my son, and there were therapy dogs in the room with us. And I realized that I felt much calmer with those dogs around me, and so did my son. So I really started to take a look at what is the deal with animals and why do they calm us down? And I came to find out that human physiology is altered positively in the presence of animals. And that's why therapists, 
medical professionals, hospice workers, hospitals, and veteran recovery programs have all introduced pets to provide comfort and healing to those of us living with grief and trauma. Over the past decade, I've noticed that many doctors and dentists and veterinarians have added even freshwater aquariums to their waiting rooms because of the meditative effects of just hearing bubbling filters and watching the fish swim. So I came to learn that whether an animal has fins or fur, they're all natural healing resources for us. Animals decrease our feelings of loneliness and isolation. They can relieve our symptoms of anxiety and depression. They increase our levels of oxytocin and they improve our overall heart health. So because I was researching all of this information and I love dogs anyway, two years after Brent died is when we got a dog named Kai. He's an Australian Labradoodle who's now seven years old and I trained him to be a therapy dog. So he comes out with me in the community when I'm working with people who are healing and he's also our personal therapy dog. I cannot wait to chat with Nancy Salzman and discover how animals have helped in her healing journey. Nancy retired from a 32-year career in public education as a teacher and administrator, during which time she received the prestigious Milken Family Foundation Award for her work in education. And she was also recognized as Colorado's National Distinguished Principal. Dr. Salzman, otherwise known as my wonderful friend Nancy, completed her award-winning memoir, Radical Survivor in 2012. Radical Survivor chronicles her extraordinary tale as a two-time cancer survivor who lost her entire family in a small plane crash. Nancy Salzman, it is so great to have you here. Thank you for being on the podcast. Thank you for having me on the podcast. I love your podcast. I've learned so much already from listening to the other episodes. Well, thank you. We have a lot to learn from you. I, I always like to tell people how I meet the folks who are coming to the podcast. So I'll just say that I met Nancy at Camp Widow. And that was, I don't even remember how many years ago, Nancy. But Nancy has an interesting story. She's not just a widow. She's also a bereaved parent. And um, I will let you kind of share with people your story. And, um, and then we'll get into more about animals. I know you've got two lovely pups there who may bark. And we'll get to hear Teddy and Finn. We'll kind of dive in there after we hear from you a little bit about your story. Okay, great. Um, I live in Colorado Springs and I've been living here since I went to college. I moved here from Indiana because I wanted to be in a dry, beautiful climate. So I came here and I stayed and I always wanted to be a teacher. So I became an elementary school teacher and then went back to school to learn how to be a special ed teacher and then to become an administrator. So all the jobs I wanted uh, were in Colorado, in Colorado Springs, and so I was able to stay here, which was wonderful. And in 1979, I met the love of my life, Joel Herzog, and we thought it would be really important to have children. So what we decided to do was have children right away. So we had a son who was born in 1982 and another son born in 1984. 
And we had an amazing, one of those amazing romantic love story lives. And I was an assistant principal, and then I was a principal, and Joel owned the tennis shop. So my boys loved hockey. So we had this life where we took them to practice. We both went to work. We loved laughing and getting along. And um, it was just great. And one of the things that Joel liked to do was go to tennis tournaments. So a friend came into his shop, and this was in um, 1995, in the fall of 1995. A friend came in the shop and said, if you can get us tickets for the Davis Cup tennis tournament in Las Vegas, I'll rent a small plane and you and my wife and your boys can all go to the Davis Cup tennis tournament. So he came home and he said, we're going to go do this. It's going to be a blast. And I said, that sounds great because we were just starting the school year and I was really busy. So we made all the arrangements for them to go. And then I realized while they were gone, it was going to be Seth's, his 11th birthday. So I said, well, I have to go. I have to go. And so I called the pilot. The guy was going to pilot the plane. And he said, well, there are already five people on the plane and there are only four seats. So Seth is already going to be sitting on Joel's lap, so you can't go with us. So I just made reservations to go on a commercial plane. So they flew to Las Vegas. I flew to Las Vegas. We had one of those amazing weekends where your whole family is just, everything is perfect. And we had this amazing weekend. And then on Sunday, at the end of the weekend, I had to fly home on my commercial flight. So I did fly home and I flew into a rainstorm. So I thought, well, they probably aren't coming home today because of weather. So I just went home and started doing my things. And at about um, 3.30, Joel called and I had just left to go to work for some work at school. And he left a message that said, hi, we're just getting ready to get on the plane and we'll see you tonight about seven o'clock and uh, I love you. So I um, had listened to the message, was doing my stuff at school and was waiting to hear from him about seven o'clock and I didn't hear anything. So I started getting a little bit anxious about it. And by about eight o'clock, I decided well, I'm going home. So I went home and I was hoping they'd be home and that they'd just forgotten to call me, but there was nobody at home. So I waited and about 10 o'clock, uh, the phone rang and I was talking to somebody from emergency services who told me that they had a couple small planes down in Colorado. And I said, do you know anything? And he said, we really don't, but we're gonna see if we can find the planes that are down and we use satellite technology. And he said, I'll call you after midnight. Uh, are you religious? And I said, no, why? And he said, oh, well, I want you somebody sitting with you. Do you have somebody who can call? So I called my best friend and she came over and she sat with me and we just talked about, well, if the plane was down, what we would do, where we would go, that we were sure they were going to be fine. And then about a little bit after midnight, I got the second call and they told me that the plane had gone down and that there were no survivors. So at that point in 1995, I'd gone from having a family to not having a family. Well, thank you for sharing your story, Nancy. And I also know that another part of your story is that you are a two-time cancer survivor. That's correct. I had breast cancer in 1990 and a reoccurrence in 1992. This woman's book is called Radical Survivor because that is what she is. 
And I know this firsthand because I've been friends with you for a while and I see that every day. What we're focusing on today is healing tool A, which is animals. People who might be listening to this podcast for the first time might think, well, how in the world could animals help with any of Nancy's situation? Let's start there. I mean, have you always had animals? I know you have animals now, but can you just talk a little bit about maybe your current animals or when animals came into your life and, and how they've helped you in some way. Absolutely. You know, it's funny because I've read Susan's A to Z book, which is wonderful. And she talks in there about animals and how her first animal she got was a goldfish. And I just loved hearing what, what you said about the fish and how that helped you connect with a living thing. And it made me think of when I was growing up, I always had animals and it was me who wanted the animals. And I always had a cat and a dog from the time I can remember. Uh, I think our very first dog was when I was probably uh, five or six, maybe seven. And we had a dog named Sabaka, which means dog in Russian. Because my dad taught uh, Russian, he was a psychologist, but he had this program where he taught people Russian. So I've had dogs or dogs and cats for my whole life. So when I went away to college, of course, I couldn't have an animal at college, but I did get a gerbil. And then uh, when I got married to Joel, we didn't have any animals at first, but he had a very good friend and her friend, his friend had a golden retriever and the golden retriever had puppies. And by that time we did have little kids, you know, maybe... I can't remember how old they were, maybe five and seven or seven and nine, whatever. And uh, his friend called and said, do you want to come see the puppies? And I said, of course, I want to come see the puppies. But I did say to Joel, my husband, you know, you don't go look at golden retriever puppies. You take one. And we got a golden retriever puppy. And so I had a golden retriever puppy and she, and, you know, she grew up. And then back to the story of how animals help you. When I lost my family, you know, the next morning I woke up and had to figure out what I was going to do. And of course, right away, my family came in and everything. Well, at that point, I still had the golden retriever and we got another animal named Squeak. And the golden retriever got really sick right after the plane crash. So my vet came and picked her up and took her and she had several infections. She'd never been sick a day in her life. Then he brought her back. And then on the uh, week after the plane crash, everybody had left and I was alone in my house, except that I wasn't because I had these two dogs. Every single, I mean, you talk about this in your book. I had to get up every day and feed them and walk them. I couldn't just lie in bed all day. They were my reason to get up. And it reminded me of when we first got Joshi, our golden retriever that in my son's journal, in Seth's journal, my younger son, he wrote, the best day of my life was when we got Shoshi. And the second best day of my life was when we got Sweet. And, and I talked to him about it because he would lie on her and talk to her. And it just reminded me of how powerful that relationship is because of course I talked to them all the time. I talked to them about Joel, Adam, and Seth. They went up and looked in the kids' rooms all the time. So I was never alone in the house. And that's the way I look at it because I had those animals. 
as connectors almost. Absolutely. And I was terrified about when Shoshi was going to die because it was a connection to them. And Ashley, on the day she died, I wrote them all a letter that is in the book that I wrote, The Radical Survivor, just about Shoshi and that she was coming wherever they were. She was coming to be with them. And that, you know, I was glad that she was going across the Rainbow Bridge to see them, but it definitely was a connection. And then same thing again with Squeak. You have two newer dogs, Teddy and Finn, who I've had the pleasure of meeting. Oh, wait, I had two dogs in between though. Oh my gosh. Okay, well, let's hear about the dogs in between <laughs> so, and then let's hear about dogs, Teddy and Finn. Right. Of course, knowing that the dogs were gonna die, so soon, almost as soon as Shoshi died, maybe a month or two later, I got a golden retriever puppy. And her, her name was Macy because I had a really good friend named Linda Macy who had passed away. So I named my next golden retriever Macy. So then I had Macy and Squeak. Then Squeak died. So then we got a little black uh, poodle Yorkie, no poodle Schnauzer. Okay. Named Nacho. So then I had, so I had Macy and Nacho. Then Macy passed away. And then Nacho passed away. And I hadn't gotten a second dog yet. So I went less than a month before I got the two dogs, you know, Teddy. Three months later, we got Finn. So Teddy and Finn now. It seems like, as you said, since you were little, you've always had animals. What would you say to someone who hasn't really had animals, but they're thinking about the possibility of integrating one into their life. And I asked this question because, you know, I was a dog person. I had a dog growing up, but Brent and I lived all over the world because he was an international business professor and we had just moved back here to San Diego. We had no pets, even though I loved them and I wanted to integrate one. Number one, I didn't have one at the time. And number two, I was exhausted. I couldn't think of taking care of one more thing which is why I started with a fish, right? And I, you know, obviously you can't hold a fish, <laughs> but there are meditative effects of just watching a fish. Would you have any advice for someone who wants to think about integrating animals, but they don't currently have one? Like, how would that look? You know, I really appreciate what you're saying because I did take a break and not have animals when I had infants. So I couldn't work and have an animal and then an infant and then another one two years later and raise them and give them all of the attention that they needed. So I think that is great that you bring that up is I can't imagine living without an animal, but there are also life circumstances that prevent you from getting them. I loved what you said in your book. You said you took the first step by borrowing other people's animals. And I thought that was a great suggestion to find other people who would let you borrow them for a little bit, maybe take them for a walk so you don't have the full responsibility for taking care of them, but you get the emotional and supportive effects. Because I'm sure that when you go to pick, when you went to pick them up to take them on a walk, they were happy to see you. They let you pet them. So you got the physical advantages of having them. So I just think that was a great suggestion in your book. I did volunteer at the Humane Society, but this is kind of a funny story because I volunteered at the Humane Society with another friend, but we were at the front desk. We were the information posts 
and I never worked with the animals because I'm actually kind of afraid of big dogs because I can be knocked over. I know bad things can happen if you don't know the dog. So I didn't really ever go back where the animals were. Also, it was emotional for me because I felt bad for the animals. So I just stayed where it worked for me and I knew it was helping animals. The people are always like, oh, no wonder you work with the Humane Society. It's like, yeah, you're, no, I'm helping other people find the animals they want. Interesting. Well, you're talking about the book and the suggestions in the book for integrating animals if people want to. So I'm just going to go through those. So the first one would be to spend time 20 to 30 minutes playing with your own animal, right? Some animals are around the house, but we're not on the floor with them. And when we're on the floor with them interacting, that's when we get the oxytocin that we need. So the second suggestion would be to borrow. As Nancy said, I was borrowing friends' dogs, even though I couldn't handle one my on my own uh, the third suggestion would be to volunteer as nancy did at the humane society or an animal shelter or even at a veterinarian clinic where you can actually inter interact with the animals and not just be behind the desk right because you want to get that physicalness from them of course you can integrate a new animal into your home even with a betta fish that's what i started with they last for you know their lifespan is two to four years and i just keep getting new betta fish and there's one in my office right here i'm looking at and then finally the last suggestion is to see if you qualify for a therapy animal or even a lot of veterans use equine therapy services so those are just some ways to integrate animals well, I know you work in the community with a lot of other people that have had loss of a family or loss of a spouse or loss of a child. Have you seen other people integrate animals into their lives? And if so, how does that look or how do you think that's impacting them? I think that it's had the same kind of impact that it had on me. First of all, I talk to my animals all the time and I joke with some of these people that I've been with about how other people would probably think we're crazy, but we do talk to them. We talk to them about how we're feeling. We ask them how they're doing. Um, they're pretty good at paying attention, especially if you have a treat or something. So I have shared that with a lot of different people that I've met and we have shared stories about that. And then we've also shared the stories about the fear of losing the animal that you have and the connection that the animal had with you and the person you've lost. Uh, I think it's, so absolutely, it's something that I have talked to other people about. And I've also met people who are not ready, do not wanna have that kind of time commitment or emotional commitment that they're not ready to let their feelings go and feel strongly about um, something else that they love unconditionally. So I would say absolutely the majority of the people I know are animal people and have had animals and continue to have animals. And I do have to be careful because there are some people who are not at all interested and I need to not be exuberant and encourage them to get an animal. <laughs> because it works so well for me, but not necessarily for everybody. And I you know, like back to what you said about the fish, I always had a parakeet also growing up. And sometimes, you know, that kind of animal would be better. I mean, it's still, you have to take care of something, but you don't have to walk it every day. 
Well, I have two interesting animal stories that do not involve cats or dogs or gerbils, just because I think, you know, some animals require more care than others. But here are the two stories. So one, I had a trainer at the gym and his father died when he was young. And so he said he loves animals. He's actually part-time fitness instructor at the gym and part-time veterinary technician. And he loved animals that much that he really wanted to get involved in, in veterinary care. So he now does both things. And I said, well, what kind of animals do you have at home? He said, I'm a reptile guy. And so he has snakes and he has a tortoise, a 150 pound tortoise named Chloe. And I said, Andrew, why a tortoise? He said, because a tortoise will live longer than me. And I don't want my animal to die before I do. And I thought, wow, you know, here's a guy who had a loss as a child, who knows the power of animals. He loves animals, but yet the animal he chose is a desert tortoise because it's going to outlive him. I think that's very, very smart. Yes. So it doesn't have to be a fluffy dog or cat or gerbil. The second animal story I have is about a friend of ours that we have in common who used to work with dolphins. And when her fiance died, she knew she needed to go be with the dolphins. She didn't have to walk them, feed them. They were just there in the water. And so she would just be with them and interact with them. And that helped her physiology. It doesn't have to be a, a fluffy animal animal that we're integrating, right? It can be a tortoise or a well, dolphin. You made me think of something else. And they had a program at the Humane Society for people to foster dogs and cats and bunnies so that you could have it. You could know you were going to have it for a certain amount of time and you would get it used to being in your home and then somebody else would be able to adopt it or maybe it had uh, behavioral issues that they wanted you to work on. So that was another way that you could have an animal for a short period of time. And of course, I would not be interested in doing that because I know that I would end up wanting to keep the animal. I'm going to read a short paragraph from the A to Z Healing Toolbox book that was donated by a listener who happens to be a relative of mine, one of my aunts. She says, I've been living with the deaths of three vital people. I've moved cross country three times and have felt overwhelmed, depressed, dazed, and confused. The difference with my last move is that it's just me, no one to take care of but me, still grieving needing to define myself. I thought working with animals would help center me more, ease me into the community, and provide some much needed love. So I recently found a cat adoption center that functions on volunteers and donations. I'm not ready to get overly involved with people yet, so this seemed like a good compromise. I volunteer for a few hours a week with about 35 cats and kittens on the floor. These fur babies have been abused, abandoned, or thrown out. When I'm struggling, the benefits of caring for animals are amazing. It's a chance to shut off my mind, focus on something outside myself, and experience unconditional love and gratitude. The cats play, cuddle, purr, and fall asleep at my touch or in my lap. Ultimately, it brings relief from heartache and grief. We all have grief. 
And it doesn't matter when it is, we don't need to have an animal of our own. We can go out into the community and borrow them or get on the floor with 35 cats, right? <laughs> well, I just remember too, when I was a principal in an elementary school, we had one of our special ed teachers got a dog trained to come to school. It was a golden retriever and she brought the golden retriever with her every day. And you could just watch the kids who needed some special comforting. Nancy and I were at Camp Widow in San Diego in July of 2021. And there was a team of therapy dogs that came in. There were nine of them. They came in with a program called Love on a Leash. And these therapy dogs and their owners came in and we had people and dogs all over the floor everybody was just hoarded around these dogs and it was just so beautiful to see the the healing that comes from just being with an animal it was wonderful i was one of those people on the floor because my dogs were at home and i was in san diego but that reminded me too of when my brother who was also widowed came to camp widow in san diego he actually did bring his dog with him and it allowed him to be more comfortable in that setting where he's an introvert. And this allowed other people to come up to him and talk to the dog and then talk to him. And it opened him up to interacting with other people. And I think that that was really part of the success of his experience when he came to camp. Of course, he made a lot of connections with people also, but that was really neat to watch him interact with other people because he had the dog. That's such a great point. And it really reminds me of me when I was newly widowed. The early years were so difficult and I couldn't manage to connect with other families at my son's school. It was too hard to see the families. And when we got Kai, I would take him to school and he and I would wait on the grass right by school for Jacob to come out of the gate. And once the gate opened, all the kids came and oh my goodness, all the kids were around the dog and they were asking me questions about the dog and I was forced to interact. And Kai became a conduit for my re-entry into the normal world again. We are going to wrap it up. So I'm wondering if people would like to get a hold of you somehow, how can they do that? Where can they find your book, Radical Survivor, and you? Well, I'm pretty easy to find. You can just Google me, nancysaltzman.com. Uh, it's N-A-N-C-Y-S-A-L-T-Z-M-A-N, like salt and pepper. And I have a website and kind of tells my story. But of course, the book is available on Amazon and you can read it as an ebook. It's a paperback book and I also recorded it. So it's available on Audible. And on my website, of course, list my email address and my phone number and way to contact me. And I'm happy to respond when people send me emails. I'm available at nancy at soaringspirits.org and also nancysaltzman at yahoo.com. Just as you were talking, Susan, I just wanted to add one other thing is that I have read that one of the things that helps us with resilience is the ability to experience joy and awe. And I know this may sound crazy, but watching my dogs, I experience incredible amounts of joy and awe at the things that they do 
and they make me laugh. And so as part of my healing process, I was able to experience joy even in the very beginning and awe that they could continue on, which allowed me to be more resilient. And I just wanted to share that also because I think that's so important and helped with obviously your recovery, my recovery, and a lot of people we know, their recovery. Perfectly said. What a beautiful end note. Thank you so much, Nancy, for being here. Thank you, Susan. A to Z Healing Toolbox offers professional trainings, live and virtual workshops, podcast interviews, healing guidebooks, speaking engagements at conferences nationwide, small group virtual support, and solo sessions individually tailored to meet your unique needs. Books can be found on the A to Z Healing Toolbox website, on Amazon, at Barnes & Noble, and your local bookstore. If you would like to connect with Susan and join a small group for virtual support or schedule a solo session, please contact Susan at a to z toolbox.com. Do you want to deepen your connection to the divine? speed up your progress on the spiritual path, then tune in to the Spirit Matters podcast. I'm the host, Philip Goldberg, and I interview experts with wisdom, insight, and practical guidance for every seeker of truth. Spirit Matters on the mindbodyspirit.fm network. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.